Well, good morning and a blessed Resurrection Sunday to you and your family and friends and uh, good to see you all. There's a few more here in this service than in the first service, but that's okay. We had a good turn on the first service as well. Hey, we just want to say blessings to you. Uh, if you're talking feasts, there's Passover, if they're Jewish calendar, Feast of First Fruits. And uh, on that, we have Resurrection Sunday. So I would like you to do something with me, if you would, to start off. We were talking about giving credit and long live the king, hailing the king. Would you stand with me and would you read this in honor of him this morning? We'll do it together. It's from Psalm 24, and it's an ancient hymn uh, to the Lord of hosts. Let's read together. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah, you may be seated. Let's pray this morning. Lord, that word at the end there, Selah, means to pause means to meditate, to contemplate, to think about deeply what was just said. Who is the Ancient of Days coming through those doors who is to be held in the highest awe and the highest honor that can be possibly given on a human level? And Lord, that is you. That is you, Lord Jesus. We seek you this morning and pray that as we talk about you being a king, it will be more than just head knowledge or head sense but will be heart-affecting as well. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. On Friday, uh, we had a good Friday service here, and we focused on the king is dead. And the idea there of the absolute crisis and tragedy of Jesus and who he claimed to be actually being put to death, uh, not for something that he did wrong, but for who he claimed to be. And we're going to look at that a little bit this morning and take it farther Because this morning we want to focus on long live the king. And that is on Jesus' resurrection. What I want to say this morning, both of these are historical time-space realities. You're going, what does that mean, Mitch? What that means in English is that they both actually really happen. Just like there was an Abraham Lincoln, just like there was a King George V, just like there was a Napoleon, just like there was a Caesar crossing the Rubicon, Those historical events, Jesus' death and resurrection, fit within the same kind of historical time-space frameworks that we know as we are walking today. In the Old Testament, it was appropriate for one when approaching a king. You did just not saunter up to a king. Hey, dude, what's happening? right? That is not how it worked. The king held a scepter. And if you were given permission, you walked to the king... And if the king extended the scepter to you, then you had an audience and you could bring your appeal. If he did not extend the scepter, then it cost you your life. So it was with greatest of care and greatest of sense of timing, right? Students, you know how you got to time your parents, right? Right? There's a good time to approach and not a good time to approach, right? Same, right? Will the scepter be extended, right? And uh, same thing with the king. You approached very carefully. We do not understand that kind of protocol or that kind of uh, honor in our day or age, but uh, in when you approach the king, it would be the thing of sentiment that you would express loyalty and say, oh, king, live forever. 
Or may the king live forever. Now, obviously, earthly kings did not live forever, but the sentiment was there. May your rule be extended. May you have great fortune in your, in your rule. This verse in Psalm is expressing that same kind of sentiment. What it's saying, if you look at it, it's saying, attention, attention, everyone. Get ready. The king, the great king is approaching. Hail him. He is the king of glory. And so this morning we want to take a little bit of a look at this idea of the king because it's really woven all through the uh, testimony of the word. This is a picture of a coronation. Obviously, this is an earthly king. And uh, a picture of what happens when a king is crowned. There's great pomp and circumstance and and, uh, glory wrapped around it. But we're talking about this morning not an earthly king, but rather... What we're talking about, what we're doing this morning is commemorating. You have come out, I have come out this morning to commemorate the crowning of a king. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was coronated the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the king of all eternity. Most people do not realize that when it comes to the Resurrection Sunday, that it's actually a coronation like I've been talking about. Jesus is passed off as a great moral teacher or a prophet or a religious figure. But C.S. Lewis so famously said he never intended to give us those options. Lewis said, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, him being Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say, says Lewis. A man who said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be a devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something far worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But Lewis says, let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. As the old hymn says, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon the throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but his own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for me and hail him as thy matchless king. Through all eternity. That little video we said just classically summed up what we're trying to say. There was a king that we're dealing with. The issue of Jesus' kingship and kingdom is actually the framework of his trial uh, before Pilate. If you go back to the trial before Pilate and see a rendition of it here, all four Gospels capture this um, Equation, and in all four Gospels, you will see this theme of the king emerging. I'm going to pull from John. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to John 18, starting in verse 33. If not, just listen along and catch the flavor of the exchange. Pilate knows this thing is jury-rigged. Pilate knows that why they're coming to him with Jesus isn't legitimate. Pilate also knows this is incredibly tricky politically. He's got to be extremely careful because he's not sure how the cards are being played and he knows it could flip against him as fast as it is flipping against Jesus. And so he is trying to ascertain 
the issue as best as he can understand it. And he begins with this question. John 18.33 Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, and at this point you can tell Pilate's getting really irritated because Jesus is not answering the way he wanted him to answer. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What's truth? After he'd said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So, he's preloading the deck here, auto-suggestion. So, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They cried out, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Barabbas was an insurrectionist. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Here's the trump card. We've got a king opposing a king. We're not talking about a prophet here. We're not talking about a priest. We're not talking about um, a Jewish religious person. Right now, it is clarified that we now have a battle of a king against a king. And if you claim, if you let this man go who claimed to be king, then you, Pilate, oppose Caesar. And on that level, you're either going to lose your head, you're certainly going to lose your position. What do you say to that? So Pilate, when he heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down at the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. How would you like those words to stick to you? Have you ever made that trade, by the way? Traded for a different king? Traded for something or someone other than Jesus? It's a a deadly trade. It was deadly for Pilate. It's deadly for us. Shall I crucify your king? Even on the cross, the issue of the kingship was central. It says that after everything had happened, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. And it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. Aramaic was the common language of the day. It was the language that uh, the Jewish people spoke in. Latin was the political language of the day. 
That was the language of the Roman Empire. And then um, Greek was the cultural language of the day. So in all three languages it was expressed, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write, or you should not have written, the King of the Jews, but rather this man said or this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. And Pilate in a fit of stubbornness said, what I have written I have written one of the most famous quotes in all of history. But notice the framework through all of this of kingship. Notice that what Jesus is being tried for, what Jesus is on the cross for, is the claim of being a king. The claim of sovereignty. That's what he's on the cross for. Shall I release your king, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews? This kingship goes way back in the annals of the Jewish nation and the Old Testament. That a great king would arise out of Judah was foreseen long ago. There was a bad king named Balak who grabbed a bad prophet named Balaam. And the bad king wanted the bad prophet to prophesy bad things about what he perceived as a bad nation known as Israel coming to the borders of his land. And so before he went to war with them, he wanted them to be cursed so that they would have military victory. And just proving that God can use almost anything, God takes Balaam and out of Balaam's mouth come blessings uh, for the nation of Israel. And one of the things that comes out is stunning. In Numbers 24, never thought you'd see anything good in Numbers, right? Great book. Read it sometime. Balaam says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Take in context, we're talking about 2,000 year gap in history from Balaam to Jesus. 2,000 year gap. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Seth. When we're talking about uh, kings, there's some symbols for kings. Crown is obviously one of them, right? But the symbol of a star is often the sign of a king. You know this. It's very familiar to you. Remember the Magi? Remember this account? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The star of a king. Stars often represent a king. And so the Magi followed a star to find the king. The other symbol is the scepter. The scepter is a symbol of the king's power, of his royalty. Uh, Often the the scepter is a sign of his divinity and that's why most scepters uh, were gold. And so when you approach the king, if he extended the scepter to you, it would be a scepter of gold That meant when you touched or you kissed the scepter, you were acknowledging his authority over you to the point where your life hung in the balance for how you responded or asked questions to that authority. It was not a time to goof off or be inappropriate. You had better parse your words pretty carefully. Better make sure you knew why you were coming and you better make sure you're not running a double agenda. Run a double agenda and you're taken out. There was no room in that kind of kingdom for the kind of games we play with people. 
This scepter is interesting. The picture of the the, uh, scepter is an interesting picture. Uh, You find it in the book of Esther. Remember that they wanted Esther to approach the king and she says, but I have not been summoned for a month. And if I walk in and not accepted, it'll cost me my life. They said, well, the timing's up. We got to go. And so she fasted and went in and the king extended the scepter to Esther. Great story. You can read it uh, sometime. But a scepter wasn't always made out of gold. A scepter could be made out of different materials. In Scripture, one of the materials that a scepter is uh, symbolized by is iron, a scepter of iron. And in that day, there was nothing stronger than iron. And so iron uh, represented the absolute power and authority and control that a king had over his kingdom and his subjects. You find this in Psalm 2. It reads like this. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. We do not want you to be king. We don't want you to be our king. We don't like your rules. We don't like your standards. We don't like the way you impose on us. I want to think my own way. You don't have any say in my life. We will rip your laws to pieces. We will shred them and they have no right on our being. That's what these people are saying. God is deeply intimidated by that. Goes on to say, He who sits in the heavens laughs. And the Lord holds them in derision. And then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. Remember we said in Hebrews 10, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God if he's angry at you. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree of the Lord. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron or a scepter of iron and dash them to pieces like pottery. And the picture there is the nations like a clay pot. Some of you have been in art in school and that kind of stuff, right? You've made those pots you brought home to your moms and dads, right? And you remember that, right? Take that and if you have a rod of iron and you smash the rod of iron in the pot, what chance does the pot have of making it? Not very good right? Clay against iron does not work very well. And that's the picture God's saying is that it will come down and all our strength will be like a clay pot. So then there's this acknowledgement, encouragement. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This psalm, if you go back in history, was, uh, and this, there's a Catholic background to this, but uh, if you go back in history, this is the psalm that was read when the kings of Europe were coronated. In other words, when the Pope would come and the kings of France, the kings of Spain, the kings of Germany, the kings of England were coronated and crowned as king, this was the scripture read at the coronation. It was to remind them that, yes, they are a king, but they are answerable to another king who's the king above all kings, the king behind all kings, the king in front of all kings. 
and that their rule and the prosperity of the rule depended very greatly on how they themselves responded to this king. And as you can tell from history, they didn't do very well with that. This theme continues if you go into Acts chapter 2. This is now Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come. The disciples are talking in the languages of the nation and people are stunned. A large crowd draws. Peter does the first sermon and uh, 3,000 people respond to Christ. But in there, Peter in his sermon pulls out something that most people miss. He's talking about King David and how King David uh, is prophesying about this king to come. And it says this, being therefore a prophet, it's talking about King David, And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. God had promised David that the ruling Messiah would come out of his line, out of his lineage. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, and here's what he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And he goes on to say this, let the house, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, this is Jesus, made Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter is saying there has been a king who's been crowned. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. In other words, you are now coronated king. Sit here on the throne and I will make the nations your footstool. And Peter's saying, and Israel, you know this Jesus who you crucified. This is the king I'm talking about. The magnificence and preeminence of the king goes uh, much farther when you get just picking one place. Listen to the description of this person. Listen to how it talks about Jesus now that he is resurrected from the dead. This is out of Colossians 1. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible. Think about that for a second. Stop, pause. Selah. Everything you've seen this morning, your bed, your clothes, your wardrobe, your dressers, kitchen table, car, trees outside, coming to church, the people you see are made by this king. Whether thrones or dominions or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In other words, Scripture says the reality we understand as earth is held together by the word of God. Just think if he took a nap. Chairs go, you go, stuff flies apart. It's not held together. This king is holding, this is the claim of Scripture, holding all this together. It goes on to say, and he is the head of the body, the church, that's us. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent means ahead of everyone else, first in the line. There's no cutting. You don't get to cut ahead of Jesus. 
He is preeminent in all of these things. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. What does that mean? What it means is we have an authority problem. How does it describe it? Listen to how it describes it. It says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Hostile in mind. What are we hostile to? We're hostile to authority. We're hostile to someone having the right to tell us what to do. I love the idea that God loved me. I didn't like the idea he had the right to tell me what to do. My major battle. Anybody else? I see some smiles out there. Thank you. I'm glad there's more than just me. I chafed, I bristled, I warred, I walled, I did all the things we as humans know how to do. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did, you name it, come up with the hand signals, I did it. I was hostile in my mind over what? Over the issue of control. I didn't want there to be a king who had the right to tell me what to do and I certainly didn't want to be a king who could or couldn't extend the scepter to me. I thought that was absolutely outrageous. I'm king. I'll let you know if I'm interested in dialoguing with you. And if you've ever heard my story, you know how that blew up on me. And you, anybody else with me on that? And you, who once were alienated and hostile mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body by the flat, by, of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach for him. In other words, he has done something for us with his resurrection that we could not do for ourselves. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast. We talked about steadfast. You can download it, go to the website, the last couple of messages. We talked about this issue of stability and being steadfast. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul says, what gives us hope is the gospel. If you're talking eschatology, eschatology can be really simple. Jesus left, Jesus is coming back. That's simple. Jesus left, Jesus is coming back. But it carries more weight than that. The king has gone to take his rightful place in the kingdom. And when that ceremony and that prompt and protocol and timing is done in heaven to the satisfaction of God the Father, then that king will then return. And look at how he returns. Look at what it looks like when he returns. This is in Revelation 19. It says, And then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judge and makes war. Listen to this description. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. In other words, uh, on that crown you saw, you saw the fancy stones, and the stones would indicate the rank of a king. And the more stones, the more diadems on the crown, the more uh, first place the king was. It says, On his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. 
And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword of which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them, and here again, he will rule them with a rod of iron. Here again is the scepter, Psalm 2. The Ancient of Days, who is this King of Glory? Jesus, the Christ, the Risen One, who will come and rule the nations with an iron scepter. And then this verse, one of the more famous ones in all of Scripture, He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. You know that verse well. You know it in a different context. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming, right? Don't even have to finish it. Should have been our national anthem. Because it acknowledged the king. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What are we doing today? We are commemorating with honor. We are commemorating with respect. We are commemorating with faith. The coronation of this king. Once weak, once in our position, taking on our flesh to die on the cross for our sin, to pay a debt that we could not pay ourselves, but now getting ready to come back in glory. And when he comes back, he will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords, to whom we hope the iron scepter will be extended. How is the iron scepter extended? We come under his covering. We come under his authority. We come under his rule. If you've not done that today or you've been outside uh, doing your own thing for a long time, this is a great time to come back under authority, to get the hostility out of your mind and come to agreement with Jesus about who's the king, you or him. There can only be one person on that throne. Can't be two. Right? You ever see a brother and sister in the back of a car on a vacation holiday? Touching my side of the seat. Okay? It doesn't work any good on vacation. doesn't work any better with the kingdom of God. There can only be one king. That king is the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, this can be rhetoric. This can be pastor speak. It can be a well laid out, thought out, uh, proposition for some hypothesis of what certain things are. And it can be manipulated. It's obviously true. But Lord, this morning what I've tried to stay accurate to is the theme of kingship, the theme of rule, the claims made throughout Scripture, the claims made about you that represent accurately this morning who you are and the place you're supposed to have in our life. Some of us know we're outside of that grace, even if we're good church people. We know we're playing games with it. We know we're playing loose with it. And we know you, we don't like you telling us what to do. And this would be a good morning, Lord, for that to be laid down on the altar and said, you know what? I think you're the king. I think I'm not. I think I should give that up. I think I should acknowledge your rule. And Lord, we pray this morning that you will encourage us in steadfastness, you encourage us in stableness. You encourage us in our hope. Not only that uh, your rising from the dead was a historical event, but also, Lord Jesus, that your coming back is not a fable, a fiction, or a myth. It will be as real and as tangible as the chair we're sitting on. That you will 
um, return as the King of glory. And we ask this in your name. Amen.